You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. knowing the truth. This is peace, knowing the truth, overcoming evil with good. One way accomplishes is by spreading the gospel because God has entrusted us the ministry of reconciliation, it says in 2 Corinthians 5. We make peace between man and God. We become the intercessors and we give them to the Lord. Most people have rejected Christ, so we need to make peace. Do you think of peace and goodwill to men during a certain holiday time? How about the rest of the year? Today, Pastor Dave speaks about Jesus praying for us. Peace isn't just about trying, but having that deep settlement in your soul to live how he said to. We're all different, that's obvious. But if you've accepted Jesus, he's the common denominator, the most important thing. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 17 as he continues his message, Jesus prays for us. The main reason Jesus prays for unity is found in verse 21b, that the world may believe that you sent me. Unity, so that the world will believe that you, Father, sent me. That's the main reason. The main reason he prays for unity is to give a world a clearer, a more a sharper, and a united witness of the truth. You know, we should ever be conscious of our witness to the world. We should ever be aware of how we are presenting Christ to the world. We should ever be aware of our witness. It's interesting that when we studied 2 Samuel, when the prophet Nathan rebuked David for his sin with Bathsheba, he said, for you have given the enemies of the Lord cause to blaspheme. We are all witnesses, whether we like it or not. We are all witnesses. The question remains is, what kind of witness are we? What kind of witness are we? Are others convinced of the truth of the gospel by the way I live? My prayer is that they would be. Or are they prone to doubt the gospel and blaspheme because of the things I do? Jesus prayed for unity so that the world would believe. So that the world would believe. See, loving one another as Jesus has loved us. Living together in harmony, not bickering and quarreling amongst ourselves. These are things that are impressive to the outside world. If the outside world sees Christians bickering and arguing with each other, tearing each other down, they're going to say, why would I want to be part of that? Why would I want to be there? That's not of Christ. See, here's the problem. The world cannot see God, but they can see Christians. And we represent God. We represent God to them. And they watch us. Trust me on this. They watch. 
And according to what Jesus is saying here, what they see in us is what they believe about God. Should they see love and unity? They'll believe that God is love. However, if they see hatred and division, they will reject the gospel message. Jesus said some will believe through the message of the disciples because of their witnesses. But we must make sure that our witness is both true and living. Our witness must be true and living. You've heard it said that you might be the only Jesus that people ever see. You've heard that old cliche. You know, the what would Jesus do movement and all that kind of stuff. You know, what are you, what are you showing them? What are you showing the world? What do they see when they see you? When you deal in business with them, when you make up cards that say this and say that, when you go here, when you go there, when you do certain things, what do they see? Do they see someone truthful? Do they see someone who is dealing with them honestly and loving them? Or do they see somebody trying to slide something on them, being a shyster, trying to work around them? What do they see? That's what Jesus is talking about. And then he prays that the church would be marked by his glory, marked by glory, his glory. Let's look at verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. As the Father shared his glory with the Son, so now the Son shares his glory with us. How? How does Jesus share his glory with us? How does Jesus now share his glory with us? Well, for one thing, we have his presence. Wherever two or three are gathered, he appears in their midst, correct? That's what scripture says. Guess what? He's here right now. He is right now. He knows exactly what's going on in your mind. Uh Uh-oh. He gave us the glory of his word. He gave us the glory of his spirit. He gave us the glory of his power and he gave us the glory of his leadership for he is the head of the church, the head of the body, and we are with him. He's given his presence in glory. This is the very reason why believers should love one another and live in unity because we share his glory. We belong to the same family. We are of the same father. We are all one. We are family and nobody starts sister sledge on me. We're not discoing here yet. We seek the same work. Why did Jesus come to the world? To seek and save the lost, right? Well, has he not given us that charge? Has he not now given us that charge? So we're doing the same thing. We're seeking and saving the lost. We believe in the same truth. Even though we might even have different doctrinal issues and different doctrinal standings. We believe in the same major truth. People get angry when I say this, and that's why I always say it. We need to major what's on what's major. The cross. We need the major on the major. So many people are tied up with the minor. And they get all confused and tied up in the minor. They forget about the major. And they want to prove that their minor points are good. But guess what? Well, guess what? Major on the cross of Jesus Christ. Major on his resurrection. And everything else will fall into place. Somebody came to me once and wanted to argue about the rapture of the church. Because he knew that I believed in the rapture of church. They wanted to argue about it. It's not in scripture. It's not here. It's not there. And when you teach it, you're wrong. I believe that we're going to go through the tribulation. Let me ask you a question. After the tribulation, will you be in heaven? He said, yeah. And I'll be there too? Yeah. So what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Yes, I believe that. And I can show scripture for it. But they want to major on the minor points. The cross is the major issue here. Paul says, I determined to be Christ crucified. 
Tell me you believe in the cross. Tell me you believe in the resurrection. Tell me you believe in all that. We can get along great. Everything else is going to work its way out, folks. I'm sorry, it is. But we get so tied up in all these little things. I believe that all believers have much more in common than we do differences. This should help us when we promote love for one another and when we promote true spiritual unity. Spiritual unity. Jesus says that this unity is founded in love. The unity is founded in love. Look at verse 23. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus is basically expanding now his prayer that he prayed up here in verse 21. The idea of unity of God's people would display to the world that Jesus was truly sent from God. And this is paramount, folks. Knowing that Jesus was sent from God because Jesus is God is paramount. And he repeats this in this prayer. He repeats the same thing. And then he expands the idea, now praying for unity among generations upon generations upon generations of believers that would also demonstrate to the world that Jesus loves his people. And he loves them after the pattern of the Father's love for him. Father loves Jesus. Jesus loves us. We love one another. There's a pattern here, folks. It's a simple pattern. Thus, we are reminded of the importance of unity and love among Christians. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. This by all will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Then it seems like Jesus all of a sudden stops and now prays that we will be in heaven with him. And this is a glorious verse. I love this verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for the world loved me before the foundations of the world. For you loved me before the foundations. Excuse me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. There's some glorious hope here. There is some glorious, glorious hope. This is a promise that we must cling to. I desire that the ones you gave me, Lord, would be with me, Father. Jesus had already told his disciples, I'm going away. I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I'm going to take you so that where I am, you're going to be there. If you're unsure of your final destination today, we need to talk. Because we're getting convinced right here of where we are and what's going to happen. Listen to what Guzik says. I love Guzik. He said, quote, The words I desire mean something. They mean that Jesus longs for the consummation of all things, greatly desiring for his people to be gathered to him in heaven. Jesus longed for heaven's completion of all things. Jesus is longing to be with you. He's longing to take you with him so that you can be where he is. I love this. I absolutely love this. Notice the words. He doesn't say so that you will be where I'm going. He doesn't say so that I'm going to take you with me. He says so that you will be able to be where I am. It's present tense. 
It's present tense. He's saying that it's done. It's complete. It's finished. And I want you with me. I love this. I love this. We read in Scripture that it tells us that we, in Ephesians, we, those who believe in Jesus Christ, are seated in heavenly places alongside of the Father in Christ Jesus. Now wrap your minds around this. That's where you are today. Positionally, that is where you are, according to Scripture. But Dave, I'm sitting here listening to you, Yak. Yeah, you are, because you're in this dimension. But if you read Scripture, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It's a present tense thing. It's a present tense. Why? So that we can behold his glory. So that we can behold his glory. Oh, come on. You, you got to think of David. David says this beautiful thing, and I just love this verse in Psalm 27, verse 4. I absolutely love this verse. He says, David speaking, One thing that I have a desire of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Oh, what words. The experience, the goodness and greatness of God made David think of how wonderful it is to seek him. How wonderful it is to come towards him and look to him and experience his presence. There is nothing like the presence of God. There is nothing like the presence of God in our life. I love it. David wished that he could live in the tabernacle itself. Why? Because God was there. God dwelt in the tabernacle between the cherubim on the um, Ark of the Covenant. God dwelt there. And David said, I want to be there. I want to be where you are, God. I want to be every place you are. Guess what? We have it so much better than David. Why? Holy Spirit is in you. We can be exactly where God is every second of every day. Because God's right here. He places Holy Spirit in us. I love that. That's the richest of God. To reveal his heart, to seeking him, to know. It's a shame that David lived under the old covenant, but he had this view from afar. He knew it from afar off, but he lived in the old covenant. And then he says in that beautiful psalm, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Is that a longing that you might have? Is that a longing in your heart? I'm not wishing anyone to depart this world, but that's a longing that we all have, to be with the Lord forever. It's a promise that we have, a promise that's been given us. Jesus ends his prayer in 25 and 26. He says, O oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these things, and these have known that you have sent me. I declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. He ends this prayer on a beautiful note of triumph. He knew that he had accomplished the work that he was called to do. And he knew that he would eventually completely finish it on the cross. It would be completely done. He knew that Judas was speaking with the religious leaders the time he was making this prayer. He knew very shortly they would be making their way down to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be arrested. He knew what awaited him. He knew how close it was. And he says, oh, righteous Father. He knew that he would drink the cup that the Father had chosen for him to drink. He knew that he would drink it. 
And he calls him righteous father. The justice of a righteous father would be fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. God is a righteous judge. And sin must be judged. The wages of sin is death. Jesus, on that cross, took the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, upon himself. And he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. In one sense, the entire work of Jesus Christ can be summed up in saying that he declared to the disciples that the same world, the name of God. He declared to God. He revealed the name of God. He demonstrated the name of God. He showed everything about the nature of God because Hebrews says the glory of his expressed image in person. Jesus showed that. So the entire theme of this section was unity. And it's interesting because Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, which Bill's studying... I don't think he's in chapter 4 yet, so I can go there. But he's studying the Ephesians. And in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. This is what Paul is praying for here. The word endeavoring indicates we're to make a real effort to live in peace and unity. And when I studied this, I got really crazy because then I'm jumping over to the Gospel of Matthew at the... Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5, living in unity and peace. In verse 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? For they shall be called sons of God. They shall be called sons of God. This does not describe that those who live in peace, it talks about those who actually bring about peace. Now, this is not peace at any cost, folks. This is not compromising. This is peace knowing the truth. This is peace, knowing the truth, overcoming evil with good. One way accomplishes is by spreading the gospel because God has entrusted us the ministry of reconciliation, it says in 2 Corinthians 5. We make peace between man and God. We become the intercessors and we give them to the Lord. Most people have rejected Christ, so we need to make peace. Right now they're at war with God. Man's at war with God who doesn't know Jesus Christ. But what the reward we have as peacemakers, we're recognized as children of God. We share a passion for peace and reconciliation. We try to break down walls between peoples, and we are blessed by God. We may be treated wrongly, but we are blessed by God. We are blessed to be a child of God, adopted into his family, and surrounded by brothers and sisters of all ages. So when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, he said, dwell in unity and peace He was not talking about uniformity. He was talking about unity. There should be unity in the body of Christ. And that's why I like personally about being non-denominational or interdenomination. It gives us a comfortable posture. We accept anybody in love who comes in. Anybody can come in here. We might as well hang a sign. Whomsoever will may come. All are welcome. All are welcome. You feel free to fellowship here. It doesn't matter if you come from another denomination. It doesn't matter what you're thinking on some things. We're going to tell you that we believe in the cross, Christ and Christ crucified. That's where we stand. 
Yes, we have our own doctrinal things. Yes, we do. That's Calvary Chapel. But we don't force them upon anybody. You're free to choose, but the one thing we have in common is the cross of Jesus Christ. The result of Christian unity ought to lead to authentic discipleship and the conformity to one thing, the image of Jesus Christ. Our goal is that we all would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives. Are you willing? Are you allowing that to happen? Well, that's up to you. If we don't allow this to happen, then the unity we're pressing for has the wrong roots. It has the wrong foundation. The unity we embrace has substance. It's a unity of faith. It's a unity in the knowledge of Jesus Christ as God's son. And a unified church will fix our gaze on God our Savior, delighting in him and growing to know him more and more and more. Our unity is focused on the truth of Jesus Christ. And on his truth alone, we're not focusing on anything else. We're focusing on the truth of Jesus Christ. And as we grow in the maturity of Jesus Christ, as we experience these things, our lives now reflect that character. Our lives reflect what's going on in our lives, and we show God to others. Because in us, the fullness of God dwells. God has designed us to grow in his maturity. As body, he lets us to. He says in Ephesians 4, 16, from him the whole body, fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by proper working of each individual part. Christian unity centered in Christ needs to be a top priority of the church. It's the top priority of this church because the centrality of this church is Jesus Christ. The centrality of our church is Jesus Christ. Without it, we cannot be what we've been called to be. Today, whenever the hearts of Christians are firmly set on Christ, rather than the church, there is unity and love, and it's remarkable to behold. People can behold that. The more we abide in Christ, the more the oneness is seen by others. Sadly, how would you rate the love of Christ today between believers? The enemy that our Lord warned us about is fighting and devouring each of us. They're trying to get us to devour each other. But oh, how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. David had in mind this relationship that God's people would have with one another, not with the world. Believers should work to have a good and peaceful relationship with all others. But here the focus is on our relationship with the people of God. It's a blessing that God commands. You'll probably run across people that you might not care for. You might be looking at me that you might not care for. If they're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you better to get used to it because you're going to spend eternity with them. Eternity. Eternity with each other. Some of you are thinking right now, mm, I don't know about that. I'm not so sure on that one. In you, my friend, we got some work to do. <laughs> you are the Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.